This is Linux Unplugged, episode 24 for January 21st, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's reporting from the trenches of the init system wars. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. You know what this is right here? What? Is episode 24. And that's a special, that's a special wow. number because it does one of two things for me. Number 24 always reminds me that we are really just getting started, right? <laughs> We've got a long ways to go still. But it also always makes me think of Jack Bauer, who uh, was... Uh, well, I spent some time loving on Jack Bauer for a while. Now, I'm over 24, but in this episode, it's a little bit like 24, this TV series, because there is a war against Upstart. There is a full-fledged assault against Upstart as Debian is nearing their vote. Now, in the Linux Action Show, we said it looked like it was maybe going towards System D for Debian's choice. However, it is now 4-4, four to 4, four, four Upstart and 4 for System D. It's a it's a it's head to head match, and so commentators are taking to the web. Opinion makers, as it were, are going to the web and posting their forts or against it for upstart. It's been actually a fascinating conversation. But on top of that, if we still have enough time after that, and we might not because there's a lot to cover there, if we have enough time, I want to talk also about. I want to respond. Might be a better way to put it. I want to respond to some of this fud that you're seeing crop up as uh, new Linux users come over to Linux to try out Steam. And uh, there has been a lot of jabs thrown at Microsoft. Paul Thorat and among others reported last week that internally at Microsoft, they consider Windows 8 the new Vista. That's what they call it, the new Vista. And that has got some Windows users in a tiff. And so they are responding to the people switching to Linux with a lot of FUD. So here we are at episode 24 <laughs> of Unplugged. We'll get into some of that. But Matt, you know what we should start with? What's that? Probably our feedback. That'd be a good place to start, don't you think? I think it's an excellent place to start. I know, and you know what? I think it's wasted oh, effort. Who let him in oh, here? Oh my goodness! Gosh. I thought we kept him in a cage somewhere, or like in the back room, or whatever. Right? <laughs> oh He's man! He's kind of like a uh, you know. He, he, we bring him out when things get really serious, and we need some backup. We, we unleash Richard. That's right. Get it out of here, as he always says. All right. Well, uh, first, I want to just cover uh, a little bit of feedback. So Jimmy wrote into the Linux Unplugged show. He says, "I've been a JV viewer for a little over a year, and I love the show." I look forward to seeing it weekly and enjoy participating when time permits. I recently bought a hobby laptop that I'm using to experiment with different distros and desktops. I've been a KDE fanboy for some time and really love the interface, customization, and capabilities of the built-in widgets and apps that get the job done. However, I've become bored and frustrated, so I took the Arch Challenge via Antegros. <laughs> Antegros. I'm sorry, it just ain't for me. I won't dig into the topic here, and I'm not banging on the distro or Arch concept. I just didn't like it, and I was missing mm-hmm. a couple of old, odd packages I needed for work stuff. So I moved to another distro with no fewer than 12 on this laptop in succession. He says, I want to give a uh, quick plug for Solid K. It's well put together. So I've landed on the right distro base, Debian, but now it's the desktop's turn. I've tried out several, which include Elementary, Cinnamon, KD, XFCE. What the heck's going on in our community? Honestly, I don't feel compelled, and I hate having to use that word, by any of them. I know how to tweak KD to make it look awesome, but dang, I just want something different and nice to look at. 
I think elementary is close, but it lacks some innate features that I like, e.g. a trash can and minimizing customization. <laughs> Cinnamon's looking pretty good, and I thought I had found a new home, but it kept freezing up, so adios. I don't like Mate, and I just don't like the windows, the window managers, WMs. So I thought, what do I have left? Unity. Honestly, if I had more customization and Canonical would decide to make Ubuntu a rolling release, it might do it, but then, for now, I'll have to pass. So what have I got left? There isn't anything in the community should. If there's anything that the community should focus on for 2014, I'd vote for improving the desktop environment. Think about it. What's the first thing a new user sees when he installs Linux besides Grub? The entire experience can be tied down to how well a desktop environment handles a user's input right now, and they suck. So I might be being a little harsh, but I feel kind of jaded. If only were there a way to tie together the awesomeness of KDE and the simplicity of GNOME, make it fast, lean, and fully customizable, and put a stinking trash can on the taskbar and minimize. Make it different and modern, and no more cartoony icons. I wish I knew how to do it because I can see it plainly in my mind. Anyways, uh, he says, thanks for letting me rant. Thanks again. Jimmy. You know, I honestly would say probably what he's going to want to do is revisit XFCE, not because it, out of the box it's butt ugly. I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> but actually spend a good 30 minutes or so really hunting down a good level of customization that really meets his needs. I think he might be surprised and actually get that sweet spot he's looking for. Um, it's not an automatic fix, but I think it's definitely something to consider uh, until GNOME and uh, KDE are able to do what he needs. Yeah, I, I agree. And also sometimes um, it's a really hard thing because sometimes it, you cannot like something because it's just so different and it's hard to recognize that's what's actually going on. Uh, because, or it might be interfering with his workflow too. And I mean, I can Well, that's why that you too. won't like it, right? Because if something's yeah. different and it interrupts your workflow, it slows you down, it makes you less efficient, it makes you have to constantly yeah. rethink what you're supposed to do. However, I was just talking about this on the pre-show, but one of the things I've done since our In Defense of GNOME episode that we did on last a few weeks ago is I forced myself to just keep using GNOME because a lot of times I jump around. And, <laughs> yeah, and, a little bit. And yeah. I, I, you know, uh, I become uh, um, an expert in all but a master in none when I do that. <laughs> and so I said, okay, no, Chris, you're going to use GNOME for at least a month, if not more. And every day you have to teach yourself a new GNOME way of doing things. You know, whatever the GNOME philosophy is, and I've been reading like a lot of like the GNOME tricks and shortcuts and how-tos and watching some YouTube videos on the way people use GNOME, sort of retraining my brain. And now I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm not just kind of liking it, but I'm 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 loving it. Like I want to become like a gnome advocate. I'm like this is great. Like if you just if you if you spend the time to relearn how to ride the bike and then ride the bike in the right way, it it is incredibly rewarding. But the process of getting there requires like that level of dedication which nobody really has the time to do in the real world. I mean, people aren't podcasters who actually need to like have perspectives on these kind of things and so have the luxury of forcing themselves to do this. People have work to get done. So I totally understand where he's coming from here, but it is one of these hard things where sometimes you're never going to be happy until you train yourself to live in the way that desktop operates. And I think you can do that with anything. You can do it with XFCE, you can do it with KDE, you can do it with GNOME. Those I think require it the most. And then of course, you have your tiling window managers and things like that. And I, I think what sometimes people want is they want really sane defaults that look new and have new ideas around them, but aren't really all that different. Sort of what elementary OS tries to do. And I also think they're coming from a way of doing things to where they were trapped in a user experience to where if it doesn't come out of the box that way, you're kind of stuck. Not really taking the time to say, oh, hey, I can theme this. Or, oh, hey, I can maybe take a dock, slide it up this direction, move this bar over there, tweak these icons. You know, actually look at the way things are flowing as far as, uh, you know, there's so much customization that can be done. Um, but I think you're right. I think they are victims of uh, default mentality, you know. So Friar Tuck wrote in. How about that one? 
How do you like I this? Like it. <laughs> this is a new one. Uh, and check this out. So this is why you know every, every now and then, as the sh- as the music's playing us off the show, I'm like, hey, could you please go over to iTunes and give us a rating and a comment? It helps people find us, and that helps them switch to Linux. It actually is true. Here's Friar Tuck. He writes in. He says, first off, thanks for all the great shows. I discovered Jupiter Broadcasting in an iTunes store when I was searching for Linux podcast. I was curious, and I wanted to learn more about Linux. Linux Unplugged was the first show I found. Now, see, the timing works out because that was back when the show was new. Yep, and yep. we were asking people to go comment and rate a lot back then. And so for a while, we were staying very high in the iTunes charts. Thing is, is it requires kind of continuous maintenance from the audience to leave comments and, and rate. So if you are an iTunes user, please consider doing that because it does help people find the show and then they switch to Linux. He says, uh, in this week's Linux Unplugged, you spent a fair bit of time talking about Google's purchase of Nest Labs. I think this article touches on a very real reason why Google purchased Nest, and he links it, and I'll talk about that in a second. The article talks about Nest Labs' robotics divisions. Google is already heavy into robotics research. They may have purchased Nest as an investment in futuristic business models rather than a thin attempt to break into Nest's current business model. Thanks for all you do, and good luck with the new space, and keep up the good work. So this article that he linked us to, and I'll I'll have the full article in the show notes, they talk about, I didn't even know this about Nest because I didn't really follow them that closely, but Nest has always thought of itself, according to this, this, this piece that was written, Nest has always considered itself a robotics company. Uh, they have the ro- They say the robot is just hidden inside a sleek Apple-ish case. They said, "Look who uh, bought. Uh, look who the company brought in as its VP of technology, Volki Muskoka. I'm probably saying that wrong, but <laughs> she is a roboticist and an artificial intelligence uh, expert from the University of Washington. That they they hired to bring her in as the VP of technology. And in this article, they have a shot of her right here working with a robot arm um, at Nest." And so, oh, wow. yeah, so apparently Nest also was very heavily into robotics. And we also know that Google just bought uh, the guys that, uh, who, who, who uh, uh, shoot, I'm totally forgetting the name of that company. That's a crazy looking arm. Uh, hey, Mumble, what was the name of that uh, robotics company that Google just bought that has all the Pentagon contracts? What was that? What, was that Boston Robotics or something? Boston Dynamics, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah, so Boston Dynamics, they just recently, plus, like, they bought, like, eight other robotics companies last year. So Google is getting big time into the uh, Rosie the Robot um, role here. They're going to they're gonna integrate Google now and Rosie the Robot. I'm, man, if, if they have somebody that wants to do my dishes, I, I, I think... <laughs> I would be perfectly okay with that, I although we can, I could probably do without the maid thing. You know? <laughs> I think we could do... We could talk about a trade there, Google. Mm. But that's a that's some interesting perspective and makes it even a little creepier, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Friar Tuck. Uh, thanks for writing in. Uh, all right, well, uh, so we I have the results of our Innovative Little Guy survey, where last week we asked folks to send in the distribution that is a little... Uh, it's small, you know, in, in terms of distro sizes, doesn't get much attention, but does something really interesting and unique. And we had a form in the show notes for last week's episode, and we asked you guys to submit uh, the name of the distro and why you felt it was innovative and what was innovative about it. And I've got the results from that. Uh, I guess you could almost call it a survey. So first, before we get to that, I want to thank Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and, you guessed it, also Matt's mobile service gotcha. provider. Absolutely. Tinged has no early uh, no early termination fees and no contracts because, honestly, T- Ting is focused on the customer relationship and on the service for the customer. And so what, a lot of the things they've set up are really to that end. And Ting has been the pioneer at this. They've been the first doing it, and they're doing it the best because it's really their core business focus. Uh, the people behind Ting is Two Cows. Now, if you're familiar with Two Cows, they've done a lot of things on the web for a long time, and one of their missions has always been going to a market that is ripe for, dis- ripe for disruption, that needs to be 
corrected and go in there and offer the service the way it should be and just gain market share by doing that. Not by dirty tactics, not by copying your competitors' business strategies, but by actually innovating in that space. That's what I love about Ting. And that's what you would love about Ting too if you go over there and try it out. Not only that, but Ting is an exceedingly transparent company and that is a very refreshing thing for a wireless company. They just had a blog post kind of poking some fun at CEO for trying to copy some of the uh, Ting mojo and of course falling a little flat on that. They also have a lot of great things over on the Ting blog like great apps you can check out, new service updates, rollouts of their tri-band LTE. Uh, When they had the Nexus 5 coming over the Ting network, they were keeping people posted over there. So as a longtime Ting customer now, I really appreciate that blog. I also really appreciate the Ting dashboard. It really strikes a balance between simple and easy to use, but incredibly powerful. And they combine that with a Ting app, and the two work hand-in-hand hand so brilliantly. And oh, yeah. I can have alerts and push notifications sent to my phone if I need to. And one of the great things about Ting is it's only pay for what you use, and the dashboard's UI makes this incredibly easy to monitor and manage. They have this really simple dials system that tell you exactly where you're at, sort of like a gas gauge and it just clicks with you immediately when you see it. You totally know where you're at. You don't have to sit there and dig through all these line items and they're not sneaking anything in there. A Ting plan includes hotspot, it includes tethering, voicemail, caller ID, picture messaging, all of that's included. Ting just takes your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add them up at the end of the month. Whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. It's $6 a month for the flat line and then it's just your usage on top of that. It's extremely straightforward. It's super simple, and Ting has a whole bunch of great devices. Here's how you get started. Go to linux.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first device. If you've got a Sprint-compatible phone, that'll give you $25 off your first month of service if you want to bring that device. They've got a BYOD page you can check out. Ting is mobile that makes sense, and Ting is my mobile service provider for a reason. Also, Ting will help you get out of your early termination relief up to 25% per line. You can go to ting.com slash ETF to find out more about that. So go to linux.ting.com to get started. Go check them out. Try out their savings calculator. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Totally love the Ting. 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 So uh, I have this, these results from the survey here that we, well, I, you know, survey, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and and uh, Angela calculated these using her uh, computer, Computertron 2000. <laughs> and we got a bunch of we got about uh, sixty individual submissions, and um, which is pretty good for a you know a poll that we mentioned at the end of the episode. Oh yeah, and um, there it was spread across a whole bunch of different distros, uh, but there was a few that really stood out in in here. Uh, ParaOS came in a couple of times. Uh, Bodai Linux came in once. Got a couple of mentions for Gen two, but really what what number one the number one distro was Manjaro. Interesting. Now I feel like. I mean, Manjaro is a small distro. I don't, you know, but I also kind of feel like it might be too big for what I was thinking. Uh, it's, 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 first of all, it's not even like a main release. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. It's kind of on that cusp and I can't really, boy, you know, when I first started using it, I would say it was probably small enough, but now it's kind of, it's growing so quickly. It's kind of hard to say. Um, ParaOS got, got a submission. Of course, ParaOS is shut down now. It would almost be interesting to look at ParaOS and just say, oh, it's like, like a goodbye. Like, here's what it was. Here's right. what it did great. So long. Thanks for all the hard work. I mean, maybe Crunchbang. I mean, I don't know. I mean, but then again, Manjaro was rated highest. I mean, so the the other one that came boy, in, the other one that came that in man. second to Manjaro that I was, I've been, I've never looked at, but we just actually it was just mentioned in an email. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solid XK. I don't know how you say it. Solid X. It is uh, S O L Y D 
XK. I believe it's based on Debian, um, and it has a couple of neat features. And so I think that might be a a, a solid yeah. a solid one to check out. S O L Y D XK. And uh, it's as one that I've heard mentioned by our audience. It's not one I've checked out myself. And so this. So not only was it the second most uh, submitted, but it's one that I personally would like to check out because I haven't yet. It's kind of in my blind spot. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking we'll do a review of Solid XK. Yeah. Um, and these are great. Netrunner OS got in here. Flugel, Flugel uh, Jolly, uh, DSL. Uh, oh, wow. A whole bunch of them got in there. I'll have a link in the in the show notes if you guys want to see which ones are submitted. But uh, yeah, it's based on Debian testing says Art of Music in our IRC room. So that could be really cool because, you know, a lot of people out there are thinking about Debian uh, testing as a potential desktop. So if they've conjured that into something that's quite uh, nice to use, that could be an interesting Could be one interesting. Too. So stay tuned on a future Linux action show where uh, we will uh, we will have that review. Coming Gosh. soon. I got, I got some other stuff in the pipeline, but that'll be coming fairly soon. Uh, okay, well, I wanted to talk about uh, something that's... I don't know if you guys have been noticing this, uh, but... Um, Seems like there's a bit of a war against Upstart these days. Um, you know, obviously this Debian decision is looming, and it's got people coming out of the woodwork talking about Upstart, uh, talking about the CLA, all these kinds of things. Um, and so I have a couple of before we jump into this, I got a couple of recent posts that just happened in the last couple of days. Uh, Linus Torvalds uh, uh, took to Google Plus and commented in a thread over there. He said, uh, and this was a response to. Um, a post that uh, I believe Matthew Garrett uh, had started uh, about the CLA. And uh, Linus said that, to be fair, uh, people just like to hate on Canonical. But any in his, his overall premise is any CLA is fundamentally broken. The, S- the FSF and the Apache Foundation CLAs are pretty much equally broken. And they may not have been broken because of any... Res- uh, 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 oh, he says, but because po- copyright assignment, paperwork ends up basically killing a community. Basically, huh. with a CLA, you don't get the kind of long tail that the kernel has of random drive-by patches. And since that's how a lot of people try the waters, any CLA at all, like change, changing a license or not, even if it doesn't have a license-changing provision, is fundamentally broken. Uh, Matthew Garrett went on to say that not all CLAs are created equal. He said, why do people object, object so much to Canonical when they do it? He says, I've written about this before in the context of Mirror, but it's ex- worth expanding upon. For example, the SFS copyright assignment ensures that contributions to the GPL software will only be distributed under a GPL-style license, whereas the Apache CLA permits the ASF to relicense a contribution under a proprietary license, but the Apache license already allows to do, you to do that anyways. In contrast, Canonical ships software under the GPL3 family of licenses, but requires that contributors sign an agreement that permits Canonical to relicense their contributions under a proprietary license. This is fundamentally a different situation to almost all widely accepted CLAs and is disingenuous of Canonical to defend their CLA by pointing out the broad community uptake, for instance, of the Apache CLA. Uh, so these are so this is sort of an interesting one-two approach. So you've mm-hmm. got some folks that are they're going after the CLA and trying to expose what they foresee as problems that the CLA presents. And then on the other hand, you have folks who are going after Upstart on a technical level, like Lenart. Pottering, creator of System D, uh, he took to G plus a couple of times recently. Um, last night, he wrote, "Shutting down is hard. I'm sorry for piling on, but there's an interesting aspect of Upstart I'd like to shed some light on. Not necessarily because it's hard to fix, but simply because it's quite interesting. As it stands now, Upstart will eat your file system." And then he goes on to kind of explain how, in some use case scenarios, if something is reading a file. 
uh, and it doesn't get shut down properly, then and your system powers off, it could potentially damage the file system. Um, and another post, uh, he says, it appears the Debian Technical Committee is in discussions right now. He says, uh, the, and he goes on to talk about how they're not necessarily talking about technical limitations of Upstart. He says, the, for example, Upstart doesn't mount file systems properly at boot. The existence of mount all and Upstart and the non-integration of Etsy FS tab into the Upstart rule set results in a lot of additional shortcomings. Mount all is a one-time thing for a boot process. All context of file systems, devices, and mounts is lost. After it ran, and the file system state is henceforth assumed static, which of course... Now, how systems, which of course is not how systems work these days. This design flaw is one of the things we noticed when we looked into Upstart in detail before we decided to start SystemD four years later. Nothing has changed. The Upstart design still cannot cover this. And he goes on to list a lot of other shortcomings with Upstart. And this is also all linked in further detail, which you can read yourself on G+. He's a very long post. I'm not going to read all right. of them. Uh, and so this to me clearly is happening at this time because of this looming Debian Decision. Oh, it's absolutely vested in trying to kind of uh, sway a uh, sway a position, and and uh, there's no question that undoubtedly there's a lot of uh, truth in it. But at the end of the day, um, I, I do feel it's kind of disingenuous to for them to release it like so. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like voting one way or the other because right, you're about to, to get reelected. The vote, yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that kind of thing. It's very political, and and that that's a turnoff for me. So you have this worthwhile information. The potentially worthwhile information. I know nothing of it as far as its authenticity. I'm not. A t- I'm not into that sort of thing. But I do know that. Uh, yeah, the timing kind of rubs me the wrong way. So, um, so it's very probable. I would actually prefer evidence versus just somebody that makes a claim that I've. You know, again, I would need to see more evidence to that fact, or some examples, or hell, even a YouTube video showing it happened. That would be cool. Um, just something to kind of uh, push me in that direction, but yeah, the timing's a real turnoff for me. I'm I'm just not cool with it. Yeah, you mean in terms of like it actually eating the file system? Like, yeah, I, I you know, I, I there's so much fud on the on the internet that tr- there's the truth and then there's fud. And trying to you know distinguish between the two, it's honestly it's convoluted, and you've got to be very careful of mob mentality. I think in this particular case, he's probably correct. I don't see any. It's a and it's way too elaborate to be nonsense, and I think he's probably right. But again, the timing stinks, and I found that to be real turnoff. So mumble, uh, I'm curious what you guys think here in the room because uh, here we are, a bunch of Linux users, a lot of us have been around for a while, some of us are new, but we are very clearly watching not a war, but a clear, yeah, a clear very (laughs) much so, like a back and forth trying to, this is obviously how an open community tries to influence each other and push a new technology forward, a lot of people have a lot riding on this, I'm kind of curious in the mumble room if anybody has any observations on this situation or kind of any thoughts along uh, if some of this is maybe ill-timed or if it's maybe just the right time. Anybody have any thoughts? Yeah, uh, actually, just I really do, like the way Matt said it, it really does seem like a pissing contest at this point. Uh, Both sides seem to be going and pushing and saying, oh, well, in this situation, this can happen, or you're monolithic and I'm not. And they're both going and just saying these rather silly ideas that, you know, one is so much better than the other. When it, I think it really comes down to, if you use both, both work quite well. The, the only thing that really comes down to is the CLA, unfortunately. And that's, I think, why they're talking about the CLA and not the other stuff, because the other stuff is really rather simple. Yeah. yeah. This is- I, I seem to have missed the back and forth. I seem to have only seen Leonard and Kay uh, <laughs> posting on Google+. Plus. I haven't seen anyone from Upstart posting uh you know 
rebuttals back the other way at all. Um, right, there's been a few in the comments, you know, on these threads, and uh, one of the original Upstart developers did take to his Google Plus feed and had a couple of comments to say about the CLA and 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 things like that. But you're right, it has been a it has been a lot of campaigning from one side, uh, definitely more so, and then more of a response on the other side. I think maybe that's maybe because some of the pro conversations for Upstart are all happening on the Debian mailing list itself, whereas the folks where these folks don't really have an in there as much. So they're kind of using their other avenues to, to reach out. It's an, it's an open mailing. It's an open mailing list. Surely they could, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, if they yeah. wanted to lobby, and I think some that of would be have, the right place to do it rather than on a social network. You're right. I can see that, can see that it is sort of seen as a pissing contest and whatnot. Um, but I think if there's any time to do it, it might as well be now. So I don't see it as necessarily a bad thing. I, I actually think it has a lot. I think there's a lot on the line here, and I don't know why. Because honestly, then the more rational aspect of me also knows that it doesn't matter if Debian goes with OpenRC or Upstart or SystemD. It's it'll all be normalized out in the end. It'll all sure. work out. Uh, but it does seem like now to me. I I agree that it's a little dirty on the timing. And Popey brings up a good point too that there are actually other avenues to have this conversation yeah. other than the most public of those avenues. Uh, but I also kind of feel like at the same time, the stakes are high enough that it almost justifies it because, um, I'll tell you, I, I have no, um, you know, upstart's fine. I've used it for years, but system D is really quite good, uh, for a server. Uh, it has resource controls that are actually kind of absolutely essential for a server. And then it also has the capability of, capturing daemon core dumps and uh, providing those to the admin through all, through the logging system and also then restarting those daemons after they crash and being very intelligent about how it does that. And on top of that, it also can auto-resolve dependencies. So if several things fail, it can actually have, it actually has the intelligence to resolve the dependencies to get everything back up and running. Oh, and hey, here's your notification of what happened and what we did. Um, and then you combine that with C groups uh, you combine that with it, it is honestly also a lot better at managing file system mounts. Um, you know, and when you live in a world of Wi-Fi and USB thumb drives, having a much more dynamic methodology of handling your file system mounts and something that's intelligent about that. And also something that's also dependency aware again. So like before it tries to mount NFS, you know, it mm-hmm. starts up the networking stack. Uh, that, those kinds of features, it almost would seem, and I know we can, I know we can solve those problems with other tools, but it, it seems a little silly. Like it seems like we should all of our all Linuxes should be able to do those things. Well, and I think a really nice uh, collaborative effort that both parties could do is to simply work together on a flowchart on what each of their individual camps offer. Simple, no politics. Just keep it simple. Well, I think because I, you know, I think that'd be awesome. You know. What What's interesting there is Scott James Remnant, who was the original maintainer of Upstart, the creator of Upstart, um, some years back, commented on, I think, on Matt Garrett's post and right. talked about how he did have conversations with Kay and Lena about System D. Right. And what surprised me was most recently in the last week or so that Kay and uh, Lena have talked all about the CLA and how that was a big sticking point for System right. D, yet None of that was mentioned years ago when, when everyone told us that, you know, Canonical were kings of not invented here and kings of fork it when in fact 
they were Kay and Leonard were talking to Scott about ma- helping maintain a fork um, upstart, and then they went away and they discussed a fork made something too. else. Yeah, well, they and, also discussed forking uh, upstart. I mean, there was a yeah. So I guess you're saying that you're thinking maybe the CLA is a little bit more of a ruse now. It wasn't as big of an issue back then. I think it's a good bandwagon to jump on this week. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think what you point out is that. interesting because it definitely points out that the timing, like you said, it's really recent. The timing of with all the Debian stuff, it does seem like they're kind of pulling that out of their their bag of dirty tricks. Which, uh, I, but you know. I kind of feel like the the community, the community as a whole, now that Linus has jumped in on the whole CLA thing too, that oh, ship, wow. I think yeah. it's sailed. Right? I mean, now Linus has come out against CLAs, uh, and of course, mm. I mean, not that surprising, but yeah. uh, that seems like a battle that. I th- it just seems like something canonical. There's not going to be able to change public opinion I on that. I don't necessarily think canonical CL. I'm not going to say whether canonical CLA is either good or bad, but I think in the case of Debian, it might be a hurdle for them even adopting something like Upstart. They would have right. to do and, a and fork. I think that is it is a problem. Go ahead, Bobby. I'm Abe curious. You said that the reason that. why they wrote upstart sorry uh system d is because of the cla on upstart that's what they're saying but popey is kind of i'm sure sorry i I don't know whether there's satellite delay here to the uk or what but i i i can see how there are technical arguments for why system d is better and i can see how there are arguments for why upstart is better but what what surprises me that it's been left this late to come up with, oh yeah, and what about the CLA? I mean, the, yeah. this stuff is all well documented on the the Debian wiki of uh, right. you know, rationale, pro and con for both products. Right. Um, and I would just like the, the the Debian technical committee to get on and you know make a decision. I'd rather this yeah. was you Done. Know, yeah. resolved. I, I agree too. You don't you with, don't go yeah. to Debian and and start preaching to them about licenses and agreements. I mean, these guys. Or before they even got this far, are well aware of the CLA, what it means, and, and all of that. So it is a little odd to bring it up at this stage because it's – to me, it kind of feels like, all right, all cards out. Uh, Matt, you you focus on the CLA. Lenart, you focus on the technical stuff. Now, I'm not right. saying there's even collusion or anything like that, but it just really seems like, all right, everybody's going to put it all out there. It gives as much noise about this as we can right now while we can. It sounds kind of like the uh – the upstart side is more like a dog that's just kind of chilling out, sleeping, and and <laughs> yeah, then right. the uh, and then the system D side is like the Jack Russell just never shuts up. But yeah. it's, it's but it's really different. We have been talking about this. Like if you go back to the episode, we discussed this a while ago. We discussed the CLA then and how it was a big deal. I don't think it just just happened overnight. It's just it's just this isn't. It's popped up again. Just different aspects of it are popping up again and again. And the CLA just seems to be a very strong sticking point, and everyone's kind of sticking to it, and whether they like it or not. Right, and this time, too- and I can see why it is. You know, it's I can see the rationale why a developer might might say or they're. More, more accurately, their employer might not want them to uh, contribute to a product uh, where you know there there is an asymmetrical relationship with them and the the maintainer. I I can understand that, and and Debian have got to figure that one out. That's that's for them to figure out. I I yeah. think too. Um, part of it is we are um, there are a lot of engineers and technical people in the community, obviously, and um, when something is potentially technically superior there's like this extra urgency to become an advocate of it, right? Because, but this is technically the right thing to do. And of course, it's never always black and white like that, but that's just how people are. Like, 
well, how, how could you not implement this? This is the better obvious way to go. Uh, so and I think partially, too, the debate has flared back up around the CLA because there's been a pivot in the conversation. There was a bit of a, well, but look, the even the SF, FSF has a CLA and also Apache, they have a CLA. So look, it's not that bad. And so then there was this wave of response to that claim saying, well, those don't try to relicense or oh, they already permit relicensing. So the CLA allowing relicensing isn't a big deal. Um, and people are also coming out and calling it a community limiting agreement. The CLA is a community limiting agreement saying that it doesn't allow – Linus saying that it doesn't allow for drive-by community growth. It's an interesting time and it's an interesting spot and I think there's a lot of people out there right now that are honestly just kind of like popieces, like just hurry up and vote. Let's just make a decision right. here because a lot of these things, once they blow over, are not that big of a deal. So uh, I, I completely like- agree. It's almost like they need to flip a coin or something to get it over with. <laughs> right. No kidding. Well, and, you know, they've, Debian's been floating, like, a lot of different proposals. Like, one is, all right, default on Linux is system D, but if you go with, uh, like, uh, Herd or something like that, we'll use OpenRC, or KFreeBSD, we'll use OpenRC, or whatever, right? There's, like, all these different ideas they're ha- they're, they're proposing right now for, or different different scenarios, and it, I don't know, it, it is, it's one of these things where, and we're going to, we're about to shift gears into the FUD busting. And I'll just leave it at this, and then we can move I on. I personally would like to see on the versus-based installer maybe an option somewhere along the lines like, do you want to use SystemD or OpenRC or something That's like that? That's what they need to do. Yeah, maybe. Well, that would be kind of hard to do as um, packages would have to be all config- configurable to use either or. And generally that makes... Building for that, uh, building packages for that distro uh, a lot more complex. See, that's I my question. That. Wouldn't um, if um, Debian went with System D, wouldn't Ubuntu have to repackage everything for System D, even though they use Upstart? I don't um, think. I don't think they would have to because um, Ubuntu already like does all their own configuration for Upstart because they use different to Debian at the moment anyway. Debian uses init and they use Upstart. Yeah, it's... And, and given we're three months away from, well, less than three months away from from an LTS release, I can't see us switching between now and no. then. No, of so course not. No. This is you know we're we're almost certainly going to have upstart for the long term. For you know five years from now, there will still be machines, millions of machines around the world running upstart as there are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and even Very more true. so because more people will deploy the new LTS, and there's Chromebooks selling like like bazingas right now. <laughs> so yes. they're pumping those things out like nuts and those are all running upstart. Uh, that's why it's not a huge, huge deal. I'll just leave it at this before we get to the FUD busting aspect of it. And that is, um, there are elements of diversity in Linux. We always say choice is great and I would hate to ever see those go away. There's also, um, uh, you know, this loud mantra that Linux is fractured. It's fragmented. It's too hard to develop for because it's all over the place. And the more we can kind of standardize on areas that make sense, the less we, or the more, I should say, we nullify those arguments. So I, there is some rationale there, but that's all down the road. That's all down the road, sir. And the great thing is, like we always say, you do have choice. Hell, you can even run System D on Debian right now if you wanted to. Yep. It is actually possible. Um, OpenRC taking kind of a beating in some of these discussions. I'll just put that. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so before we move to the FUD busting, I want to thank DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. Now, I'm not trying to brag. 
I think I got that down to 47 seconds. What's up? And pricing plans started only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, mm-hmm, a 20 gigabyte SSD, uh-huh, and one CPU with a terabyte of transfer. I love that part right there. A terabyte of transfer is nuts, first of all. And the other nice thing is opposed to some of the other services that you spin up at, at Amazon or Rackspace or some of these other guys, you don't have a quantified cost there, right? I know Every single month, my digital ocean bill is $5 a month. And that's if I use 500 megabytes or I use a terabyte. I don't have that surprise bill on my credit card that burns you eventually with a lot of these other services. Not only that, but this is a full virtual machine that you get to operate with root access. You can deploy Ubuntu machines, Arch machines, Fedora machines. You can deploy machines with Docker instances already set up and good to go. LAMP stacks, whatever you need to get up and running super fast. Not only that, but DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. Their interface is simple with an intuitive control panel, which power users can replicate on a large scale with their straightforward API, which is awesome. They have image solutions where if you want to create a machine and image it and you can redeploy that machine, you can do a backup snapshot before you make big changes. It's so great for testing something on the fly to have a lot of people pound on it. If you're developing a project or an app and you want to give a lot of people access to it, you want to just have somebody use it in a public space. Sometimes you got to get things out on the web to really test it. DigitalOcean's perfect for that. Or if you want to set up a Yassi search engine, or in my case, a BitTorrent sync distribution server, it's great for that too. DigitalOcean also offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site. Furthermore, users who submit articles to the community can get paid $50 per published piece. So here's what I want you to do. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and get a $10 credit. If you use the $5 rig like I've been using, that'll get it for you two months. You can just try it out and see what you can do if you use the promo code LinuxUnpluggedJanuary. LinuxUnpluggedJanuary will get you a $10 credit. Boom. Try out DigitalOcean for two months and see what I've been talking about I love it, and you will love it too. So go to DigitalOcean.com, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. So many cool things you can do when you have your own cloud server. Oh, no kidding. I mean, because you're really unleashed at that point. You no longer have to worry about any potential downtime or anything on your local system. You can get creative and try completely off the stuff. And, you know, with that crazy great uh, control panel with Mm -hmm. super simple, straightforward imaging and snapshotting, it is so easy. If you're worried you're going to do something wrong, you'd make a backup of it first. You can redeploy if you made a mistake. It's really great. There's so many cool options, too. You can play with Archboxes. That's what I've been running for months now. It's great. I know it sounds crazy, but it's actually been great. (laughs) Uh, So check it out, digitalocean.com. So before we go too much further, also I want to mention really quick, it's one of our last call-outs. We have an Instagram uh, account, a Jupiter Broadcasting Instagram account, instagram.com slash Broadcasting, where right now we are collecting photos of folks who uh, are uh, sporting their Jupiter Broadcasting shirts. A lot of good-looking individuals there, some with copious amounts of facial hair. Or is that real oh, yes. facial hair? Hmm. You know, hmm. I, I, did, I let things grow out a little bit. And, uh, you know, just kind of, I thought I would try the whole beard thing. And, uh, yeah, that happened. Well, hey, it's, good, it's a good look for you. It's a good look for you. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah, right. Yeah, I totally took a selfie. And, uh, you know, that, that was me without my uh, beard braid. There's somebody in a, in a data center closet with a uh, BSD logo in the background there. And it looks like a oh, homemade cool. disc chassis there, too. It's a lot of really cool ones. Uh, so, Very Blues Brothers. I love it. Yeah. So wherever you uh, want to post That's it, cool. uh, or if you want to email it to Angela at JupiterBroadcasting.com, or post it on G+, and tag plus Angela Fisher, or at A-N-G-E-R-Z on Twitter, let her see it, and we'll, she'll add it to our Instagram feed. We're going to take these, and uh, there's a service that will allow you to, to create framed art, uh, and you, so you, you feed it your Instagram account, and they... 
they create you art that you can hang on your wall, and we're going to decorate the new studio with uh, pictures of folks wearing their shirts. So nice. if you'd like to hang on the wall in our new studio, get your sub- picture submitted, and you can check out everyone's pictures over at Instagram.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Yeah, it's All neat. Right. It's really cool seeing uh, seeing everybody's face in there. Uh, and some of, the, some of the images are just fantastic. Super funny. Super, super funny. Uh, okay, so uh, we got to bust some FUD bit by bit here. We This... Now, I'm going to pick on this guy, uh, but he totally deserves it. His name is FM87. Uh, right. You might have saw his comment on Reddit recently when uh, when the link to uh, Microsoft employees reportedly calling Windows 8 the new Vista hit Reddit. A lot of Windows fanboys got pretty upset by this post. Yeah. And, of course, the conversation quickly turned to bashing Linux and uh, pushing on a bunch of old buttons. This guy got gold five times over for this post. He got uh, 1,800 karma points uh, for it, and uh, the reason why I'm picking on this one is because it's a great summary of a lot of the different ones. First, uh, a lot of different FUD points, talking points I've seen. First, he likes to pick on the fragmentation, and uh, with a lot of um, profanity, he links to the uh, GNU Linux distribution timeline <laughs> and says, what the actual F, look at this and points to this and points how this is a, this is a serious sign of absolutely horrible fragmentation. Look at all of these distros that are all branched off each other. This is a developer's nightmare, he goes on to say, right? And he says, near 95% of games will not run under Linux and wine is garbage. Try running anything that requires DirectX 10 or 11. It makes extensive use of things such as hardware cursors, and you'll find that they simply do not run, save for a very f- rare occurrences. Even if they do run, it usually runs with a multitude of graphical or audio glitches and bugs, and even interfering with gameplay. Okay, so this is one of my favorite Linux FUD things, where you take... A, an, a, an application, any kind, could be a game, could be a desktop office application, written for another operating system, and then you run it on Linux, and it doesn't run perfectly, and you blame Linux. In no other <laughs> operating system would this ever happen. You would not take an application only written for Linux or only written for the Mac and use some sort of API translation layer on Windows 7, and when it doesn't work correctly, blame Windows. Right? That wouldn't happen. Never happens. Never the, happens. The, I, the, the whole thing is just... Yeah. Is the fact they tried it under wine because it's adding an extra layer that eats up resources that the game could be using. And the developers who make stuff work on, like Sigwin, for example, that works, makes it work on Windows, they actually made it work correctly, so you don't have to worry about that. And a lot of well, on games, too, is if it, like if you're using DirectX 9, it needs DirectX 10 or 11. Yeah. DirectX well, is terrible, then, so that's why. Well, that okay, a better example would be point. like, um, what if I were to blame Microsoft for Apple's terrible port of Safari? Or iTunes, Windows? right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. here's the simplest way to look at it in the universe and completely nukes his entire first point. Is it designed to run natively? No? Then go home. Yeah, End of well, discussion. That's, that's, that, that's, that's the simplest point, which is huh? a lot of people think that they can just switch to Linux and it's just um, – an operating system designed for them to run their Windows software. And a lot of people have that uh, opinion uh, for some reason, just because there are ways to do it available. Or they have people... uh, There are people who think this is um, 
an operating system where they can do everything the same as they did in Windows, which is simply not true. And some of your old habits will have to change if you are going to change the operating systems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's when I point out, say, oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so let's take a copy of, uh, let's say, Publisher for made for Windows. And we're going to go ahead and drop that in the Mac, and we're just going to go ahead and get started with that. Oh, that's right. It doesn't work. Why? Because it didn't run native. It, it, you can nullify his argument really quickly just by oh, yeah. pointing it out. All right. It, so what do you think of this one? If, oh, go ahead. Um, if I could just butt in when you was, I was just reading through that comment you made about wine being garbage. I have a personal experience relating to that where a friend of mine, the guy I was talking about before the show, plays World of Warcraft. He uses Linux to play World of Warcraft on wine. Because Wine now has a patch that you can compile into it, which makes World of Warcraft run about 40 to 50% faster on Linux. <laughs> it does. Under, yeah. under I've read Wine that too. Wow. Than what it does on Windows, wow. because they've managed to multi thread a whole bunch of stuff that Windows can't do, because Windows CPU scheduler is garbage, and Linux well, I- is one. And I think yeah, why yeah. it's a lot like a VM is that it's what you see is what you get. It, it, it may or may not work. You, I mean, obviously, there's databases and whatnot to make sure. And in a lot of games cases, that's actually the case. I've actually seen other games that have run actually quicker. But I think that you know, at the end of the day, it is not a guarantee that it's going to run. And people going into Wine need to understand that. Um, that's, yeah, that's not even an actually argument. is able to run an application under Wine. It's like complaining that your engine or diesel engine can actually run on corn oil. Right, yeah. Or, or water. But, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to say that's, there's a reason why I run a different operating system on my different machines. My laptop is purely Linux, but my desktop, I'm going to run Windows on it because I want access to those DirectX games or I want to use multimedia services like Netflix because it's my main entertainment. Right. And I think the other fallacy he has here is he starts out his thread, and I'm going to get to another point here. He says Linux is not a replacement for 99.999% of users. And then he mentions this 95% That's, of games yeah. won't work under Wine. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it, hold on. It's, not all users need that. So here you're making yep. an argument that it will work for 99, 99% of people. Then you're assuming 99% of people need to play Wine games. He also goes on <laughs> exactly. to say, right. despite what most Linux users would lead everyone to believe, most users just want to start up and set up and go OS. Linux is not this. Yes, Windows needs to push updates and restart, but so does Linux. The difference is Linux will not tell you it needs to restart to update kernel files, leaving those vulnerable until you do so or simply causing a kernel panic or lockup. The amount of setup required and tinkering needed to get things like sound and network drivers working properly after initial setup is mind-boggling, even on easy distros like Ubuntu, Kubuntu, or Mint. So on the first point, he's factually factually completely and utterly and totally wrong because as soon as you install updates, if it does require a reboot in Ubuntu, wait for it. It does tell you. Um, (laughs) Secondly, uh, as far as coming out of the box, um, my my mom who collects Social Security and is like old as dirt – she installed her own Ubuntu installation, so boom, there it is. Wow. Um, go ahead and put, and she, all she, it was really tough. She put the disc in, went and made lunch, came back, clicked next a few times, and she was done. Um, wasn't, <laughs> yeah, wasn't real hard. So, I mean, you know, way. his entire point is just completely flawed. It's not, it's not accurate. My so. first point is 105% of statistics are made up on the spot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's, it's worth noting that uh, we've, yeah. on, on Ubuntu, we've actually re-implemented the Windows dialog that uh, – yeah prevents you from dismissing it and you you have to what do you want you know and you must actually, restart your is way easier to set up than like for windows 8 is because you don't have to make a million microsoft accounts first thing 
and oh my as God. soon as you log in, it'll say not the upstart menu. Right. Upstart. And you know what users, um, real users hate is when you go to shut down your computer and then it installs the updates. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, real users God, actually hate that. hate that. Yeah, it sucks, right? And especially like when you're oh, on a laptop. So, oh, when you just be, flick your machine uh, on because you need to use the, it for two minutes and all of a sudden you've got to wait half an hour for it to turn on because it decided to do some updates. I hate that. Well, uh, Popey, uh, somebody brought up the point of Microsoft accounts. Are they, they're not going to require canonical accounts, are they? <laughs> uh, you can already sign into Ubuntu One during your uh, during your install as a, it's as a no. It's a it's a convenience. Yeah, it's a cho- it's a total choice. It's not mandatory by any stretch. Okay, okay. I got on you. I got a couple of points where he is right. Yeah, here. I got that. So synergy with other devices such as network file sharing has always been an issue with Linux, where Windows is a small office can simply turn on file sharing. The procedure for doing this with Linux is long and tedious. Now, I think this is a fair point. New users that want to share files between two Linux desktops have no idea where to do that. And they always just end up emailing each other an attachment or use Dropbox. Yeah, but so do Windows users. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly. Yeah, actually, that's, that's a good <laughs> no. point. Every every office I've ever worked in, the ability to turn on file sharing has been an excellent vector for installing <laughs> viruses on every other yeah. machine okay, on the network. Right. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay. All right. well, what about what about locking down the OS? He says, in an enterprise environment, you can never be done that. Now, check out this. It can never be done due to how the FOSS community behaves and thinks everything should be out in the open. This is a huge problem, he says. Well, that's that's utter bullcrap. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's 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 it's like that's like <laughs> saying I no, I don't want to see how this thing works so that no one else can see how it works, even though it might be just like a feather holding the safe closed. It's like, it's like that's just silly. You don't know if it's a feather holding the safe closed. You don't know if it's a steel bar. You don't know. Yep. You don't know how it's built. How how can you rely on it? At I think all? he's talking like group policy and stuff like that. But okay, all right. Here's a soft spot. All right, now come on, be honest with this one, you guys. He says, despite what most Linux users say, the command line is still required to use for a lot of common tasks. This is a huge problem in all caps. No one gives an S about memorizing a hundred different commands to do simple things. The average user needs a simple GUI with everything laid out for them, and Linux simply does not offer that. The average I, person will have to use that, command line eventually. That, but that's well, not true. I, I've, I've, my, again, going back to my mom who maintains her own computer. Um, believe it or not, uh, with the exception of router issues, that's that's not related to Ubuntu. But uh, factually speaking. I would challenge most common users will use the command line like maybe never unless they know what to do with it. it, it mm-hmm. the, the entire argument kind of kills itself right off the bat just because it's like, okay, so you have to you – have you're relying on the command line, yet you're new to Linux and you don't know what commands you're going to be using anyway. Because, so then okay. you're going to go Google for it. I mean it, that doesn't really hold water. Here's a perfect like example. Back in 2006 what, uh, when I first ran Ubuntu, I had to use a terminal to get things like my wireless working. Oh, now, oh yeah, back Here then. in 2014 – I, to, for me to use the terminal, that's my choice because right. I prefer to use some yeah. of those tools over the GUI tools. But, but, and, and I would like to, to add to what Matt said, but yeah. I actually like um, uh, helping people who use um, Linux um, over the phone or uh, over Skype because yeah. I don't care where they move their icons or uh, where their start menu is. I don't have to to wait until they click on something. Yeah, whether right, they, yeah. w- where they, whether they themselves use terminal command or not, is irrelevant. 
But if I need to help them fix something, I can just tell them, open the terminal, type this in, and it makes helping others so much easier. I think one of the one of the misconceptions that people, Windows advocates have when they when they throw mud at Linux is they set it to a different standard and they say, well, on Linux you need the command line, and part of the reason for that is the perception that someone who uses Linux has to be an expert. Right. My mum's been using Linux for three years yeah. and she's never ever opened a command yeah. line and because exactly. she knows someone who can do it for her. I, I and think, that's exactly the same on Windows. If my mum ran yeah. Windows, she'd phone me. I think you've okay, nailed it. If I bring up a point about even this Linux kernel being used in different places, I'm, I just throw out that, sure. okay, do you use the terminal on your phone, on your Android <laughs> right. device? Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I want to point out something? too Actually, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I think that uh, it is just about as difficult for uh, a new Linux user to use the command line. I know this is going to sound crazy, but think about it. I think it's true. It's just as hard for a new Linux user to use the command line in it as, as it is an absolute noob to go hunt down a printer driver, download it from the manu- you know, select the right mod uh, mm-hmm. uh, type, download it from the manufacturer's website, install that printer driver. Linux users don't have to worry about any of that kind of thing. Whereas on Windows, when you get a new a new device or a new machine, that is a very common task that they immediately get stuck at. I, installing printers is surprisingly difficult. Or installing new devices when you have to go oh, get the yeah. driver it doesn't install from Windows Update. Yep. That's that that might, might as well just not work at all for a lot of new users. And that's of course never criticized. Well, if I give thing- a recent example of that. Um, just recently, I got a new computer. It was just a cheap one, just to throw in the lounge, the living room, for um, just to run Netflix. That's all it does because flatmates watch Netflix. And I had a Wi-Fi dongle that I was going to plug into it and just use that because I couldn't be bothered with running the cable. And I had the, the Wi-Fi dongle and the CD that the drivers came on. And I installed Windows. I plugged in the Wi-Fi dongle, popped the CD, and it didn't work. I went into the CD. I went through. I mean, I've been using Windows for 15 years now. I know how to install a driver and eventually, after about an hour of messing around with the driver, I popped an Ubuntu USB stick in, plugged the Wi-Fi in, it worked instantly, <laughs> downloaded Pipelight, and she's now watching Netflix on Ubuntu. I meant to put Windows on because she knows how to use Windows. She doesn't know how to use Linux. And I just thought it would be easier and smoother and everything. And honestly, it took me an hour and I gave up and I used Linux because it worked. Yeah. So well, in terms of installing drivers and such and having to use the command line, like you save. I mean, I'm not even a new Windows user, but having to dig around in the Windows driver options and reboot into insecure mode and all that stuff just to get a driver installed and with well, Linux, there wasn't Linux that problem. Linux is very weird and different when it comes to Crash. Windows, and a lot of people don't actually understand this. The kernel is all hardware abstraction, and the user land is all user-facing tools. When okay. you upgrade your kernel, that upgrades all hardware support. Right. That's why all of our hardware plug and play is so instant and beautiful and modern. Hmm. Okay, Crash Bandit, could I have one question about your uh, pipeline setup on that? How well does hardware acceleration for HD video work? I don't have it. I don't have hardware acceleration working. My driver doesn't support it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, that is that is. Yeah, I, I was curious about that too. I, I wanted. In general, uh, that would be well, for our GPU. One, or, one last uh, thing I wanted to bring up, driver. as far as like we were talking about Wi-Fi earlier, because that's one thing that. Linux users tend kind of skate over and always point to various uh, you know tools to kind of work around Windows drivers and whatnot. At the end of the day, if you look at your laptop, you open up the clamshell and you look really closely at the sticker on it. What does it say it's made for? 
It says it's made for Windows. And so going into it, you understand that the chipset and the sound and all those things are potentially designed for the Windows operating system. That usually means you're probably working with a Broadcom chipset when it comes to wireless. Sometimes that works. Sometimes you're looking at uh, going and having to connect to a hard line and get it the otherwise. The simplest approach is either buy it Linux pre-installed or accept the fact that if you want to have a good time, get yourself an integrated Intel uh, wireless setup, or if you need to go dongle wise, you can kind of crap roll it and go with uh, yes. Ethereum or uh, it's true. You could, there are methods to avoid some of yeah. these problems too. And you know, yeah. Blue G in the uh, Blue Jai or in the chat room says, uh, if you log into Windows Server 2012 and des- and it decides to shut down your entire company in 10 minutes for updates, trust me, you'll be using the command line. <laughs> this is an interesting thing: is uh, Microsoft yeah. is actually very heavily pushing PowerShell and a lot of yeah. uh, the new ways to administer Active Directory. Everything you can do through the GUI, you can do at the command line, and a lot yep. of it's around scripting and PowerShell for managing updates and things like that. So, uh, in it's, fact, and look at Windows Server Core. That's also sort mm-hmm. of addressing this, you know, a server doesn't necessarily need this uh, GUI aspect. So I think there's, I think it's a little funny to push the uh, command line thing because really a lot of times I've had to drop to CMD on Windows 7. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. That's what I do. Pigret Doe would like to share a story about his friend with uh, GUI versus Terminal. All right. Okay. Uh, I had a friend who got fed up with Windows. He got a virus and said, I'm done. And so I pointed him towards Linux Mint just as a use, as a new mm-hmm. user. Mm-hmm. And he actually prefers the terminal over the GUI, at least with installing software, because he says it's a lot easier. Oh, it definitely is. It's definitely yeah. If you're on Pac-Man or something, or yeah. even apt, it's so much faster than having to go through the software center. Yeah, that sounds pretty geeky, though. Stuff. But, I mean, I agree. And I also, you know, maybe... It's funny because users used to use DOS, right? So it's not, exactly. like, it's yeah. not like they can't be taught to use the command line. Um, all right, here's the soft spot that he goes for. This is the one I've been talking about. He says, distros are largely fragmented, and the popular ones will come with random issues depending on what you are using and what you are installing on it. Fedora always has issues with newer audio devices. Ubuntu and Mint tend to go apeshit if the display resolution or gamma is not set properly. And Arch almost always has had networking device problems. Seuss seems to randomly play nice with USB mice and the ignore them as if they don't exist and this is just the list off my the top of my head uh easy answer to that one um very very simple he basically installed all these distributions on one set of hardware he had bad experiences because everything he named off very very clearly tells me that he did not try this on multiple machines he tried it on one piece of hardware had a bad time linux sucks you know yeah exactly I honestly, I think he's just straight up lying when he says some of that stuff because I don't know how he can say Fedora always has issues with newer audio. Fedora always has the newest kernel, and so they, they always do. Has I, the I think best more than likely new hardware. He's picking on the Pulse Audio issue yeah, from he's years picking ago. On Pulse Audio because if you're trying yeah, to connect to a USB think, situation, um, it gets a little funky. I, I think Fedora. I mean, I'm not, I haven't really tried it myself, but I've heard Fedora's gotten a lot better lately, especially since they include the newer Radeon drivers by default, and those have improved mm-hmm. drastically. Because that was my biggest yeah. issue back in like 2008. Well, and remember, we just talked about on the so this fragmentation thing comes up all the time. This is like sort of the common. In, you know, all against all of the FUD talkers, the, the distro that. fragmentation is always brought up all the time. But we just talked about this uh, this presentation at the at the uh, uh, Valve Dev Steam Dev Days, and in there, uh, Iculus said that, "Hey, look, um, honestly, 
this these these uh, fra- this fragmentation issue amongst distros is BS. And this guy has been porting games from Windows to Linux for 15 years. And he says, you know, OpenGL and SDL, they essentially normalize things out. It really doesn't matter. He called it, uh, I'm looking for the word, I think he called it a myth. Um, his presentation is uh, linked in uh, this week's episode of Linux Action Show. Um Myth busting, yeah. He called it a myth. He said, The truth about distro fragmentation, I've shipped dozens of games over 15 years. Never did anything but generic Linux builds for any game. It's always worked. SDL handles most of the differences for you, and the rest is largely avoidable and unimportant anyhow. So there you go. Right? That's from somebody who's been converting games for 15 years from Windows. And 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 just to point out, it's like he's going and he's saying, oh, all these Linux distros are just awful. I would challenge him that if you go and take Windows 7, Windows 8, whatever you want, go and put it on multiple different hardware configurations, you are going to have an absolutely awful time on certain hardware configurations. And there's, and there's, you know, he says, oh, this always has this problem. Well, Windows, I could argue Windows 8 always has a problem with going and dealing with Wi-Fi drivers. Because at the start, it had an awful time with most Wi-Fi drivers that I found. Yeah, it's my, like, um, my uh, brightness controls actually don't work on Windows 8. Just the other thing is that Linux tends to improve and then improve beyond Windows. Like I recall the days when Wi-Fi was a problem on Linux and it wasn't on Windows. And like I just described earlier, it's now gotten to the point it's where better. Linux is better oh, yeah. with Wi-Fi than Windows. Yeah, printers think, were another do you think, thing. Do you think maybe it's that's terrible with printers? Now it's better. Do you think maybe I, that's I think because there's because no big? Of, Big releases like right. There's big a window up there. Boom, Windows eight. Boom, Windows eight one. Boom, Windows nine. And so the the public consciously says, okay, this is one better. They've now improved stuff. Whereas Linux, there's no like splash major marketing push. New features in Linux. New hardware support. It's awesome. It's just this continual improvement that people don't rock. Advantage Linux has is the kernel is its own team or. System D is its own team or Wayland and Xorg are their own teams. So they can work on improving their stuff. They can still communicate with each other and get those updates, but they can still work individually. Right. The way, so they can still help Windows standardize world, things. It's too broad. There's too much general knowledge being spread out among all their different professions. For us in Linux, we have very special ambassadors of their domain. And they evolve and at different have, rates, right? And so right, they don't, yeah, it doesn't annual. look like holistic improvement where individual components are improving at different time rates. And so it really takes a multi-year perspective to see the whole picture of improvement. And everything gets exactly. better all yes, I mean, as their own little team in very spe- specific and specialized ways. Well, so let's say far. special release thing is, is covered by distros. The release parties, you get those. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think yeah. like uh, Fedora, like, let's take Fedora for example. Fedora has, upon their release, whenever they did their freeze, that snapshot of the kernel, that snapshot of, let's say, Xorg and Wayland and SystemD and all that stuff, or GNOME, KDE. Also, look how far like the kernel has gone in not very long time. We have competition between systems, too. We have different systems actually trying to compete to win. Unlike the Windows world, which has one team which will only have that team dedicated to it and does not have any competition. Right, and if there's no general market advantage to improving a feature that's under the hood, doesn't make, doesn't make a bullet point on the box, there's really not a lot of uh, uh, political backing in the company to make it better. It's like the browser wars. There's competition, so they all get better collectively. Thus, all our subsystems get better collectively. Yeah, everybody loves to give the Mac a hand job and talk about how great it is, but this is a, their file system is is literally... 
a disgrace. It is HFS Plus is the most disgraceful file system that is still shipping on a major operating system. Mm-hmm. But Apple can't make a sexy bullet point on a key point on a keynote presentation about improving the file system. So they continue to add new features like bounce scrolling and full screen <laughs> operations and individual spaces or whatever. But they don't fix their absolute train wreck of a file system. And but they don't have to because they know marketing. That's where Linux fails. Right, but Linux I'm is, glad Linux it's, is adorable and grassroots. No, it's no, it's all HFS plus. Even the I believe even the yeah. iOS file system is HFS plus. And I, I think it is. Oh, yeah. And I agree that it's not a sexy feature that they can sell. And that's why I'm thankful that the Linux system works. We continue to get things like file systems worked on, even yeah. when it's not a sexy feature. Thank goodness. Yeah, things oh. like if people like Linus can focus on the core and people like Aaron Saigo and Mark Shuttleworth can focus on the pretty stuff. Also, look how far like the kernel itself has gone. Like even just like a year and a half ago, like when pre O was out and everything, of how bad power management was and overheating, and everybody was complaining about that. Two, three, four months they fixed that, and now it's focused on graphics. Look how far Intel graphics has come, and now they're working on Radeon graphics. It's just getting better so fast. It's actually kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I know. Yeah, it is really <laughs> awesome. This. This post on Reddit, I don't know if you remember, Chris, that, remember there was a blog post a couple of years back where the guy, he reviewed Linux as a server operating system. And remember he said it was terrible because he tried to install apt on Fedora right. or something like That's what this post reminds me of. You're All right. the stuff that this guy's mentioning. It's old. It's completely like, it's yeah. completely wrong. It, it's sort of like he's Googled a bunch of stuff and then read no. If he had people, that he would have found made, that, then just though. made a post from it. None of it actually seems like he's experienced he, it. He kind of talks a little bit in there like, well, I, I, I have to keep up to date and I follow all of this for my job. And I don't know. He doesn't say what his job is, and that's kind of a vague explanation. But yeah, Windows it, admin. It seems, yeah, or yeah, like I run it in some VMs. I mean, it sounds like a really loose association with yeah. – and like he obviously has followed some of the issues – and and the only thing is is like all of these things. This guy just did a really good job, and I got this whole thing. We we only read like forty percent of it. I got the whole thing linked in the show notes. Uh, this guy just did a really good job at basically taking all the biggest ones you you hear. Maybe one talking point is put into into a response, and this guy just kind of put them all together. And I think as Steam becomes as Steam OS starts to sort of lure people away from windows a little bit you're going to have i mean i think this is already starting to happen you have people looking into it you got people that are deploying we just talked about people are deploying um it was ubuntu at that high school because they didn't want to go to xp Mm -hmm. right it's going to happen more and more and so i think this is just something maybe we'll just keep an eye on uh because i was i grabbed this article here that i think i found in somebody linked in our subreddit where it said you can blame linux fud for microsoft's dominance in schools um and and in fact uh there was this uh there was this parent who went in to talk to the staff and said, look, I don't, your class requirements say that I have to have Microsoft Office at home for my student to go and enroll in this class. And he said, let me tell you about LibreOffice. And she starts writing stuff down. And then when she realized he was talking about replacing Microsoft, she stops him and she says, you know, it might even be illegal for us to remove Microsoft Office or Windows from previously purchased computers due to the vendor agreement that the school district has signed with Microsoft. And I know I've told the story a lot. But it bears repeating, and I'll, and I'll go into some detail. I don't think I've ever gotten into as much detail as I will today. Is uh, I worked for the school district of Arlington when I was a high school student. And I remember being in their IT department, and we had this we, – we were deploying wireless links between the schools because we were paying 
tons and tons of money to have T1 direct connections between each school. And Arlington's actually one of the larger school districts in our state. And so this was costing the school district tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And back then, T1s were just outrageously expensive. They, they were the fastest connection you could get, and they you paid for it. And uh, so they decided, well, let's do this one-time investment. They even like took out a big loan to pay for it. Let's get these wireless point-to-point links. There's this new protocol ca- called 802.11b, and it'll do two megabits, and we'll link all of these schools up over this two megabit link. Now, you got a bunch of school district employees who are, you know, in, in this case was also a, you know, his full-time job was actually a teacher. He wasn't necessarily a network engineer. And this is TCP IP is even still kind of new-ish. You know, NetBuoy, IPX, and Apple Talk were still the dominant protocols on a network. So IP segmentation wasn't really something people knew really to think about. And so they accidentally deployed across the entire school district one flat 255-255-00 LAN, just this one massive LAN, and it was all interlinked by these two megabit wireless connections that were spotty to begin with. And it apps and like so if and of course the router is so if you had a printer that was on a different IP network, the router was back at the school district head office. And so to send a print job, every time a student printed, so you can imagine at the end of class, when the when the three computer labs were all printing out their results. They all of this printer traffic would go down over the wireless network to the router and then send it back up the wireless network to the printer that was sitting right next to us all. And it absolutely just destroyed the entire network and it made the computer systems unusable. So we knew immediately that we needed to change this up and put routers at, in front of each wireless access point and create a local network where everything could talk on its own local land, wouldn't have to go down to the school district office. I was pretty proud of myself for figuring this out as a high school student. We got it all dialed in and we said, okay, well, NT is this thing, NT5, wasn't called Windows 2000, NT5 is this thing that's in active development and they have this proxy server on there. No, no, we're not going to use beta software. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, there is a way to do it on NT4. It's called Microsoft Proxy Server 2.0 or something like that. And it'll do some routing and it'll do some caching because we also wanted web caching. And then eventually, be able to, it's a school, we wanted to be able to apply filters. So we put this NT4 box into production on a pretty decent machine and it immediately could not handle the traffic. It was absolutely just not even an option. And again, we didn't necessarily want to go with beta software. So somebody in, the cl- in one of the computer classes says, well, what about this Red Hat? What about this? And we looked at it. Oh, that's interesting. But, you know, we didn't have the CDs. Well, okay. Well, we could download this Debian and, and write it to these floppy disks. And it's like this whole series of floppy disks. And so we download this Debian thing and we install it on the same computer that we had NT4 on previously. We put it in there. We find this thing called Squid. We install Squid, right? This is all just brand new to us. We set up a basic routing table because thankfully one of the teachers there had experience on, on a BSD in the past and knew kind of how to do some of this stuff. And we put that box in and it was a night and day situation. Like the network came back, performance was back, printing happened instantly. It was amazing. And we all just kind of sat back and went, wow, and that's free? We just did that for free? Well, then pretty soon, because we were we were in a pilot program with Microsoft, one of the parents who was working at Microsoft found out what we had done because the kid went home from the computer class and told his dad. Well, dad worked at Microsoft and dad wasn't very happy about that because the school district had an agreement with Microsoft. The deal was the school district got free Microsoft training books, Microsoft Office and Windows licenses, and we even the students even got vouchers to turn in to get Microsoft certified engineer certificates. So it was like this really sweetheart deal, and they were piloting this program at the school district because the parent was the one leading it, and he used to be a former student at the school. And so when they came in, they said, here's the deal. 
if you don't pull that Linux box out and put a Windows NT5 box in its place, we'll pull our entire program. And this is, I mean, to say it's a value of maybe $200,000 might be a lowball because it's all of the licenses for all of the Windows boxes in the school district, thousands and thousands of computers, all of the office licenses, the voucher program for students to get certified as a Microsoft certified engineer for free. They said, we're going to pull all of that and you will owe us for these machines. You will have to cut us a check next year for all of these licenses if you keep this one Linux box as your router. This is a one Linux box at one school that we had up for a couple of days. Like, we put it in on a Friday, and this is the conversation we're having on a Tuesday. It was like that fast that it happened. And I, I, mean, I, I, was, I was so impressed to see my teacher and the technology uh, director of the school district, you know, they, 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 they met with the guy. They thought about it for about a week, which I totally understand. And yeah. at the end of that week, they said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to pull this Linux box out. You can take your funding. And I was, and, and you know what? The school district like had a major problem. They had some levy funds that they were using to replace equipment. They had to take those levy funds and, and, and essentially reappropriate them somehow to buy licenses. I mean, it was this massive thing. And eventually the computer programs died off because of it, because they just could not fund them anymore. And now wow. they have like one computer program. When they used to have three full-time computer labs with three like all-day-long computer classes going. And so I watched sort of how this first it was the first approach. The first wave was like, well, look, Linux isn't going to run for a long time. And, you know, we're really working on some great stuff. You're going to want to have some filtering. At first, it was their first pass when they first found out about it was an email that was sort of, well, here's all the reasons why Linux isn't going to work for you guys. You don't want to use this. And when we rejected those, they immediately escalated to we're going to pull everything. That's unbelievable. Not surprising. Uh, I've I've heard similar stories, not not to that severity, but I've heard that that's back in those days, especially they could get away with stuff like that. Yeah. They knew that in order to maintain right. their top of the mountain, that they and indoctrination early was important. This might have been even before. I don't get how that does not violate. Antitrust. Well, I was just going to say this might have been even before the whole yeah. antitrust thing happened. It probably was because Internet actually. Explorer yeah. was brand brand new. It was yeah. like version four. It was like Internet Explorer was not bundled with the operating system at this time. Uh, and antitrust laws are adorable if anyone thinks they're really adhered to. I mean, it's all about who, which lobbyist you know worked with whomever. Um, it, in the U.S., it's 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 crap. <laughs> it really, this yeah. Linux FUD goes all the way back to then because that was their oh, yeah. first pass. That was pass number one. Was we'll we'll throw some bull crap at you about. This this like like they they yeah. they even I, they even took issue with the proxy software we use. It's called Squid. Are you kidding me? What, <laughs> right, like like everything they tried everything. Well, in fairness, Squid is the universal symbol for evil uh, evil people. You know, like the, 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 the you know like supervillains. They always have a Squid thing going That's on. That's true. Good point. Same. Yeah, Same. that is true. And maybe they are right. Maybe it's maybe uh, the Squid Project is taking the uh, the long burn approach to their. Yep evil plans anyways i got a link in the show notes that talks about uh blaming fud blame the linux fud for microsoft dominance in schools if you guys want to read more about that now uh we'd like to have you join us live we got this virtual uh lug here in our mumble room you can hang out we do these shows on tuesdays at 2 p.m pacific you can get that in your local time over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar we also want your feedback you can email us go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop the contact link and choose linux unplugged from that drop down do that Sometimes you said, you guys, sometimes you choose general comments. I don't read those too often, but I read the Linux Unplugged ones every Tuesday. So there you go. All right, Matt. Well, uh, we got a how-to coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Nice. Yeah, and I got some security stuff in the works, too, we'll be talking about very soon. And then we also have that little guy distro review we'll be doing. So we got a lot of stuff coming up. Good stuff. 
All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Go over to iTunes and rate and comment if you haven't yet. That helps discovery. And we hope to see you right back here next week. <laughs>